that God has given to each one of us. A power that can transform our relationships. A power that can build a family. A power that can build our children. A power that can bring healing in the lives of other people. A power that can build others' lives. A power that can build our workplace and our colleagues. A power that can build our church. A power that can build our community. A power that can build our nation. Now, while this power can build, it also works as a double-edged sword. The power also has the potential to destroy our relationships. <clears throat> it can destroy our family. It can destroy our children. It can destroy our friendships. It can destroy our workplace. It can destroy our church. It can destroy our community. And it can destroy our nation. So what is this extraordinary power that God has given to his crown of creation? We are called as the crown of creation. So what is this extraordinary power that he has given to his crown of creation, it is the gift of speech. It is the gift of speech that God has given us. So on what basis I make these statements? Because our words have power. Our words have power. God has given us the gift of speech. And I said our words have power. In the beginning, God speaks and, it's word, and his word makes the formless, empty, and dark earth into a beautiful world that is suitable for living. The fact that we can also speak is an obvious sign that we have been made in the image of God. God made us in his image. So like God, we have the potential to use words to create trust, to form relationships, to encourage one another, and bring healing in others' lives. Now, we all struggle in the area of speech. So then we ask, why do our words often cause more harm than good? I'm sure all of us have regretted 
at least uh, we have regretted many times for the words that we have spoken. We used to think, I wish I had not spoken. I wish I had kept quiet. So why do our words so often cause more harm than good? Because of our culture, because of our upbringing, and because of our sinful nature, we tend to use words more often than not in a negative way. That's the reason. And Proverbs 18.21 says, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. The message version puts it very well. It says, words kill. Words give life. They are either poison or fruit. You choose. Words kill. Words give life. They are either poison or fruit. You choose. Not only our words have power, our words matter. How we use our words in conversations, in emails, and in phone calls matter. They matter. Much of the trouble and conflict in our families, in our workplaces, in our churches, in our society, and even in nations are because of foolish words. Words have been triggers for family breakup, breakup in relationships, communal clashes, murders, suicides, and even wars. We should never underestimate the power of words because words kill psychologically. Call a child or your coworker stupid, you're good for nothing, and that person all through his life will try to get rid of himself or herself all the self-doubts that have been planted because of these negative words. Hurtful, unhealthy, and negative words are like toxic chemicals. Once we pour out toxic chemicals into the ground, they just pollute everything. We talk about air pollution. We talk about water pollution. What about word pollution? We are so concerned about air pollution, but when we speak careless words, hurtful words, unhealthy words, negative words, we are polluting the world. Are we aware of this? Now, this is on the negative side. On the positive side, 
words have the ability to heal. Because Proverbs 15.4 says, the soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. When we speak healing words, we offer others fruit from the tree of life. Remember that, the tree of life. We offer others the fruits. Words are like fruit or like food for us. It is a must for us. That's why Jesus said, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, most of us remember, years later, the words from a Bible passage or the words from a sermon or just the words or a passage from a book or the words said by a friend or a teacher that changed our lives, that gave a new direction to our lives that we can never forget. Because the words have the ability to heal, I'm sure all of us desire to bless others with our words. Are we aware that even our casual words have the ability to bless others. We don't have to speak something serious. We don't have to be involved in a serious topic. Even our casual words have the ability to bless others. So this morning, let us look at the marks of the life giving words with words with life giving words you can raise up a dead person that is the power that god has given to each one of us so what are the marks of the life giving words that we can find from the book of proverbs for want of time, I want to restrict myself to the three most important marks of life-giving words. So the first mark of life-giving words, words that will bless others, words that will breathe life into others, words that will encourage others, words that will build up others. So the first mark is, life-giving words are truthful. The first mark of the life-giving words is truth. Life-giving words are truthful. Proverbs 12:17 says, an honest witness tells the truth, but a false witness tells lies. What do you understand from this proverb? It's a proverb. An honest witness tells the truth, but a false witness tells lies. This proverb speaks about the use and abuse of the mouth. How we use our mouth, how we abuse 
our mouth by mentioning the example of an honest witness and a false witness in the courtroom. They are in the courtroom because a witness is in the court. And so the wisest man, Solomon, wants to teach us something from this incident. When we speak the truth, he's saying that we are using our mouth. When we speak lies, we are abusing our mouth. We have often heard smoking is injurious to health. It is time we hear that lying is injurious to the soul. You know, in this proverb, it's a very simple proverb. An honest witness tells the truth, but a false witness tells lies. Remember a courtroom scene. Now, an honest witness is under tremendous pressure from the other side to compromise his integrity. But here, the proverb says, this honest witness intentionally tells the truth despite pressure from the world around him, pressure from the powerful people around him. He goes ahead and he speaks the truth because he is a man who pursues righteousness. Because he speaks the truth, he helps the victim to get justice. Because the court, the judge is able to dispense justice, the community is strengthened. Every time justice is compromised, to that end, the community is weakened. But because of this honest witness, the justice is dispensed and the community is strengthened. Now, his truthful words reflect his character. Because in the midst of pressure, he speaks the truth. Only a person who is habitually truthful will be able to speak the truth even in the midst of crisis. All cannot be honest. It depends on his character. Unless we are habitually truthful, we will not be able to withstand the pressure to speak the truth in a public place. And here an honest witness tells the truth. And God hates lies. Our God hates, he just hates lies. There is no such thing as harmless lie. Our, our, our society or our culture teaches us it's only a harmless lie. You didn't harm anybody. But the word of God teaches us there is nothing known as harmless lies. The Holy Spirit will never work through dishonest words, however best we try to justify our motives. The Holy Spirit will never work through dishonest words, however best we try to justify our motives.
holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy God will not compromise on his character. That is why the Bible speaks about the importance of speaking the truth. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 19, verses 18 to 21, God gave these instructions to his people. He, God doesn't approve a false witness. The judges must make a thorough investigation and if the witness proves to be a liar, giving false testimony against a fellow Israelite, then do to the false witness as that witness intended to do to the other party. You must purge the evil from among you. The rest of the people will hear of this and be afraid, and never again will such an evil thing be done among you. Show no pity. Life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. You know, we talk about adultery is sin, murder is sin, how about lying is sin? Speaking lies is sin. That's why the Bible says you must purge the evil from among you. When we read verses like this, we tend to uh, think or we tend to uh, convince ourselves, after all, I am not a witness in a courtroom. You don't have to be a witness in a courtroom. In our day-to-day -day work, we, we are witnesses. In our day-to-day -day living, we are witnesses, and we should speak the truth. The reason being, despite such stringent regulations that Israelites had, you know, God is showing us the sinful condition of human heart. We have the very uh, well-known story of King Ahab. King Ahab, he just desired the, the vineyard of Naboth. And he comes with a sad face to his wife, Jezebel. Jezebel says, you are the king. Oh, why are you doing this? I will see that you get this land. And she goes about to satisfy his greed. Now, I'll just quote two verses uh, from this story. So Jezebel says to his, her fellows, see two scoundrels opposite Naboth and have them bring charges that he has cursed both God and the king and take him out and stone him to death. So the false witnesses will come, they will give their false testimony, and Naboth is put to death, and King Ahab takes that vineyard. But see how God reacts. In 1 Kings 21, 19, God is telling to Elijah, say to Ahab, the king of Israel, this is what the Lord says, have you not murdered a man and seized his property? Then say to him, this is what the Lord says, in the place where dogs licked up Naboth's blood, dogs will lick up your blood. Yes, yours. Now, when we read stories like this, we will say we are not Ahab. We are better than Ahab. We are better than Jezebel. But uh, I won't say that 
Pastor Abraham's heart is any different from Ahab's heart? Pastor Abraham's heart is capable of committing the same crime that King Ahab's heart committed. Or Pastor Abraham's heart is, is capable of planning, scheming, the very wicked thing that Jezebel planned. That is the human heart. That is the wicked heart. So God wants us to be careful with our words. Now, when we say that our words must be truthful, it is not only important for us to speak the truth, but it is also important to examine our motives. Because what we say should be examined by only what they say, but what they intend to do. Listen to this carefully. If words are technically truthful, but stated in such a way as to mislead, then they are still dishonest. They are not truthful. We can speak technically 100%. We can be truthful, but our intentions may not be good. Our intentions may not be clear. So if you see in this world, effective lies, if you're talking about lies, effective lies are those that include the greatest possible amount of truth and yet still deceive. When they speak about devil, they say that devil distorts the truth at the 39th decimal. He is not telling everything a lie. He doesn't distort everything. He just distorts the truth at 39th decimal. In the same way, we can also speak the truth, distorting, uh, we can speak the truth 99.99% and distort the truth at 0.001%. And that is not truth. So it is not that we just give factual statements, but we, you know, many a time in situations we say we spoke the truth and we convince ourselves I didn't lie. But whenever we use the truth to our advantage, it is nothing but a lie. I'm sure uh, many of us can go back to our uh, school life and you will always see in the class, uh, sometimes when the teacher comes and asks, who did this? there are people who speak the truth and the students who spoke the truth their intention was that somebody else should be punished he spoke the truth but his intention was not that he's speaking the truth but his so and so should be punished so, so that he can be a good boy in the eyes of teachers because our words must be life giving remember we should never use truth as a weapon. We must never use truth as a weapon. We must ask ourselves, why are we telling the truth? Is it to win an argument? Is it to punish the other person? Is it to defend our pride? Uh, nowadays, you have only one child or at the most two children. If you are in a house of eight, nine children, 
you can see how siblings react. They speak the truth, but so that sons or brother or sister should be punished. Uh, so that's a human tendency. They're not speaking the truth because, because they're using the truth as a weapon against someone else. So are we speaking the truth to defend our pride or to complain or just to make look ourselves good to others? We can expose our colleague in front of the team leader or the project manager. What is our intention? What is our intention? So it is not only important that we speak the truth, we should also learn how to speak the truth in love. It is very important because, because the Bible says, as followers of Jesus, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Now, earlier when I made the statement, the Holy Spirit will never work through dishonest words, however best we try to justify our motives. Sometimes we find it very difficult to accept that statement, but Hebrews 6.18 clearly says, it is impossible for God to lie. We say all things are possible for God, but here the Bible says, it is impossible for God to lie. God cannot lie, it is impossible for him. So when we speak the truth in love, what we do is we honor God. Because we honor God, Holy Spirit breathes life into our words. That is why it becomes life-giving words. When we speak the truth in love, we honor God. And because we honor God, the Holy Spirit breathes life into our words. So life-giving words are truthful. That is the first mark. The second mark is the life-giving words are kind. Life-giving words. The second mark of the life-giving words is kindness. It is not enough for words to be truthful, it should also be kind. What do we understand by the word kind? Kind means personal and kind. Pleasant and sweet. Timely and thoughtful. Our truthful words must be timely and thoughtful. Our truthful words must be personal and kind. That's why we should not use truth as a weapon. Our truthful words must be pleasant and sweet. Proverbs 12.25 says, anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. This proverb is remarkable for its simplicity and its depth of wisdom. Anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. Just, just a sentence, eh? 
anxiety, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 words, just 12 words. Anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. Based on these 12 words, counselors have written several books. That is the depth of wisdom that we see in this proverb. In other words, we can read this proverb like this, anxiety in the heart of man causes depression, but a word of encouragement does wonders. The wise man Solomon, he's teaching us the connection between body and soul. If you read this verse carefully, this proverb carefully, King Solomon is teaching us that there is a connection between our body and soul. And he makes an extraordinary observation. The extraordinary observation is he's teaching us the power of kind words. He says the he says there's so much of power in kind words that it can bring healing to your burdened and anxious soul. It can bring healing. Just kind words can bring healing to the burdened and anxious heart. People are depressed around us. In our own family, people are depressed. So they're all looking for kind words. And we should be aware that God has intended our kind words to be part of God's remedy for the restoration of another person's joy. God wants us to be healers wherever we are in our homes, in our families, in our workplaces, God wants us to be healers. How can we be healers? With our kind words. When we talk about healing, we only talk about gifts of healing or healing of physical diseases. But God wants us to heal people who are suffering from depression. You are the healer. God has given us, given you, the ability and power to go and heal, not by shouting at them. There are, you know, sometimes we cast out demons from everyone. We really don't know whether the person is under depression or whether the person is possessed of evil powers. So sometimes Pentecostals, as Pentecostals, we try to shout and scream and we do that. But God here says, just speak kind words, that person will be healed. There'll be joy in that person's heart. Uh, you know, King James Version uh, says like this, anxiety in the heart of man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. This proverb gives remarkable insight into the psychology of depression. 
we don't have to read psychology books to understand depression. This verse itself gives us so much of insights into the very psychology of depression. He says, anxiety causes depression. Anxiety is nothing but fear. Fear that you lose something in this world. When God is not the priority in your life, something else takes that place and that very fear that you lose that could be your job, could be your loved ones. When they become idols, yeah, we should be concerned about people around us, people in the family, we should be concerned. But if they take the place of God and it gives us fear, and when we have that fear, it, that is anxiety, and that anxiety causes depression because we think we control the world. You're the only one uh, not created by human hands. We just sang that song, God is seated on the throne. Where so long as God, our God is seated on the throne, we can deal with any situation. We can deal with life and death situation. If God is seated on the throne, the moment we unseat our God from the throne and we place anything else on that chair, on the throne, we will have anxiety. And when we are not sure how to deal with our anxiety, it causes depression. Now, the problem with this anxiety is because anxiety is always worry mingled with fear. So the problem with this anxiety is, anxiety will always cause us to make mistakes. We don't even realize. We must be thinking we are doing good things, but because we are acting because out of anxiety, we will go terribly wrong. You know, let me quote a simple example from the Bible when the tribes of Israel, they settled on the east of Jordan. They settled there, God gave them, because they had fear that led to anxiety. What did they do? They established another altar. You know, they wanted to replicate the tabernacle. They knew God gave them the tabernacle, but because of this anxiety, because of this fear, they, yes, they uh, built another altar. That's not approved by God. So in Joshua 22, 24 says, no, we did it for fear that someday your descendants might say to ours, what do you have to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? See, they had fear of the future unfounded fears. So when we have anxiety, in all likelihood, we will commit, we will not be able to take good decisions. We will not be able to make good decisions. We unknowingly, with good intention, we will commit mistakes. So that's why anxiety in the heart of man causes depression. So what is the remedy for that? The remedy we, is a good, a kind word a kind word from a supporting friend. 
you know, we, when God created us, we were not meant to stand alone. Especially uh, as people were migrated to cities, we tend to live a, lead an isolated life. When you lead an isolated life, in all probability, you are likely to commit blunders. That is why we say that us as a community, you need one another. Because we all need one another. That's the way God has designed, created us. Because if you are going to be a lonely person, you will soon become depressed and you will become fearful. And when you are depressed and you are fearful of your future, you will always commit mistakes. Young people, listen to these words carefully. You need to have good, God-fearing, supporting friends. That's why you need to have friends with the same worldview. You can have friends in your workplaces, but their worldviews may be different. You need to have friends with the same worldviews. And we need to hear a kind word from a supporting, supportive friends. And you also need to speak kind words into someone else's life. It's very important. You know, when King Saul was pursuing David, you know, he, he, was, he was determined to take his life. Now, that was a very, it was fearful for David. David could have gone into depression, but God gave him a supportive friend in, in Jonathan. See, in 1 Samuel 23, 16, 17, it says, and Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David at Horish and helped him find strength in God. Don't be afraid, he said. There are times when angels will come and say, don't be afraid. And there are times when human beings will come and say, don't be afraid. So we need to have friends who can come and tell us, don't be afraid. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel and I'll be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. David was an anointed man at the age of 16. He was anointed. But even this anointed person needs kind words from his friend. He needs to hear, don't be afraid. Are you humble enough to receive these words from your friends? You need to have that humility. We need to be ready. We are all human beings. We are frail. We are fragile. And we need to have the humility to listen to others. You are being placed in a community not to lead an isolated life, not to make independent decisions. Decision will be yours, but you need to have inputs from your friends. So the Apostle Paul teaches us to speak kind words. He says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. But only what is helpful for building others up 
according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Now, every word that we speak must pass this test, whether this word is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And if we speak kind words, it can lift someone sinking in anxiety and fear. You know, people in depression are actually drowning themselves. They are drowning themselves in a big ocean, not even realizing and understanding. They are drowning themselves amidst their worries, their fear, they are drowning themselves. So if you want to breathe life into those, if you want to rescue them, then you need to speak life-giving words. You don't have to do a big surgery. You don't have to do a big miracle. God has blessed each one of us with a very extraordinary power. God has given each one of us that very extraordinary power. Are we aware about that power? Are we using that power? We can rescue drowning people. Don't you think we have also passed through those situations when we were drowning ourselves? Didn't you look for someone who can come and speak some kind words? That's, that's what God has intended. That is what God has intended for those who are drowning and for people around them not to do anything great, just to speak kind words. So life-giving words are truthful. Life-giving words are kind. And the third mark of the life-giving words are gentle. The third mark of the life-giving words is gentleness. Life-giving words should be gentle. It is not enough, it's truthful. It is not enough, it's kind. It, is, it should be gentle. Because Proverbs 15, one says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Now, Gentle means, the meaning of the word gentle is tender, soft, delicate. How you speak softly to your child, our words are supposed to be like that. That's the meaning of the word gentle. It should be tender, it should be soft, it should be delicate. When Proverbs speaks of kind words, it speaks of our speech motives. In other words, it answers the question, why are we saying these words? Why are we using these words? That is, by answering that question, we can make out whether our words are kind or not. When it comes to gentle, it, it is speaking of its tone. 
the tone and tenor how how are we conveying these words so gentle means how are we conveying our words it is not only important our words should be truthful it's not only important that why we say these words for the good uh, with good intention to help others but it is equally important how we convey that the tone of the message the tone of our speech is so important uh, so this is how this it goes respond gently when you are confronted and you will diff diffuse the rage of another responding with sharp cutting words will only make it worse don't you know that being angry can ruin the testimony of even the wisest of men is the wisest person just because he becomes angry that ruins his testimony so that's the importance of gentle words now when we say gentle i don't mean that we should agree to everything that is not gentleness that's not at all gentleness when we say gentle we should be respectful and friendly that's what gentleness means we are called to speak gently even in an angry situation now why is it a problem to speak gently in an angry situation because in an angry situation our tendency is to use harsh words we don't have to try it just comes out of us i know most of you are not angry when i am a man who gets angry so i know when i'm angry i don't have to struggle to find harsh words the words that come out are by nature they are harsh and they are hard words now when you are in an angry situation it is very very difficult to speak gentle words because you don't want to appear weak you are already in an angry situation you have to establish your point how can you establish your point if you are gentle you have to prove yourself that you are right and the other person is wrong so it becomes extremely difficult to speak gentle words but life giving words are gentle it is not the question of whether it is difficult or not whether they are life giving words or not now we have a very good example we know king solomon's son rehoboam you know he had such a beautiful large kingdom and we know the story when the elders came to him how he replied in first kings 1213 it says the king answered the people harshly rejecting the advice given him by the elders he only spoke harshly and he lost a major part of his kingdom only his words 
he only spoke. He didn't do anything to those people. He just spoke harshly and he lost a major portion of his kingdom. So we need to be careful. The story is told about, the true story is told about Sidney Harris. He's the America's leading science cartoonist. You know, he tells of going with a friend to a newspaper stand. The friend bought a newspaper. The salesperson was rude and bad-tempered, but the friend responded in kindness. Sidney Harris was confused and he asked his friend, is he always so unkind? His friend said, yes. Do you always reply like that? His friend said, yes. So Sidney Harris was all the more confused and he asked his friend why. He, his friend replied, I can't decide how he will act, but I can choose how I will react. If we want to speak gentle words, it is not the other people's response. We need to decide, we need to choose that we will speak gentle words. You know, Gary Chapman once said, life is a slow journey of becoming the people we choose to be. If you want to be a person of gentleness, if you want to be a person of kindness, if you want to be a person who speaks the truth, the choice is with you. Others cannot force you to do this. Today, the word of God has come to us that God has given each one of us a very extraordinary power. We look for anointed servants, anointed pastors, anointed ministers, but God has given us a very extraordinary power. What are we doing with that power? Are we using that power to bring life or are we using that power to destroy others? <clears throat> it's like a double-edged sword. This power can be used to build others as well as to destroy others. The way we use our words, our children are going to learn from us. And that's what they will learn. Are we using life-giving words? I just want to make two quick applications. The first one is, kind words can heal anxiety. Uh, we have already seen the proverb, anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. People around us are depressed. Sometimes we ourselves are depressed and we don't try to take the help of others. All we need is a kind word from outside. Depression cannot be healed from within inside. We need to have a kind word. That's the way God has intended. When you are filled with anxiety, when you have worries filled with fear, you need to hear a word from outside. Don't keep looking for a solution within yourself. The solution will not come within yourself. 
you need to seek you need to humble ourselves that's why god has created a body we are all members of the same body so the body each part should have that humility to depend on the other part we are not independent so the only way we can heal our depression is when we have good supportive friends who can speak just a kind word we don't need a big treatment we need a kind word today in your family or today in your workplace or today in our community do you know someone who is suffering from depression do you know someone who is suffering from anxiety do you know someone who is suffering from fear do you know someone is un is unduly worried will you be the person to speak that kind word will you be that person to speak that kind word so that you can bring healing in their lives the second application is gentle words can neutralize anger proverbs 15:1 says a gentle answer turns away wrath but a harsh word stirs up anger now remember both kindness and gentleness are the fruits of the spirit the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace long suffering kindness gentleness so we need to be people of the holy spirit it is not enough just we speak in tongues we need to have the fruit of the spirit in our life and if we whether we have the fruit of the spirit or not we can just i am just giving you two examples we can make uh, we can make out to what extent the holy spirit has us just by measuring evaluating our words we can make out to what extent holy spirit is in us it's not just enough that we speak in tongues we need to have kind words kindness gentleness so this morning we need to cry out to the holy spirit lord give me words life giving words we are here to bless others we are the children of abraham how will he bless the world god told abraham you will be a blessing to the world and god is telling you and me this morning you are a blessing in the place wherever i have placed you how will we be a blessing we are always looking for the blessings that we can receive from god but god says i have already blessed you you need to be a blessing to others to what extent have we been a blessing to our spouse to our children to our colleagues to our community members to our nation have we been a blessing in this land god has kept us in this land to be a blessing all that we need to do is we need to be aware that we have the potential to be a blessing kind words can heal anxiety gentle words can neutralize anger people in the city are depressed 
people in your workplaces are depressed, will you be that person to bring about healing in their lives? You don't have to read psychology. You don't have to read counseling. All you need to know is to speak kind words. We have not learned kind words because of our culture, because of our upbringing. Some of the homes have been, you know, they're only used to rough words, harsh words, enforcers. I come from the force. When you speak softly, you're considered to be a weak officer. So you need to raise your voice. You need to be, you know, you have to show that you, you mean business. But the Bible says, speak kind words, kind, speak gentle words. That is your choice. And that is my choice. This morning, let us be people of life-giving words.